All right. Good morning. Good morning. You guys doing okay? I need to hurry up and uh, preach and get through this message because it's going up about 10 degrees, I think, every five minutes or so uh, this morning. It's a hot one, but it is great that we can be together uh, to gather outside. Uh, it was great singing and worshiping the Lord this morning, and uh, it is a privilege to get a open God's word again and to lead us this morning. My name's Luke. If we've never met and uh, welcome, if it's your first time or if it's your first time back since uh, the pandemic started, we're just glad that you're here. Uh, there's about a hundred of us or more here this morning in person and, and welcome everybody who's uh, watching us online through the live stream. I'm just glad that we can look at God's word this morning and hopefully be encouraged. Um, this is the third time I've had a chance to, to participate in the teaching um, since this summer or since March, and it has been a blessing to be a part of the teaching team. And, and uh, I think there's a, a really powerful passage that we get to look at this morning in the Psalms as we continue our series through Psalms. And we're going to be in Psalms 133 uh, this morning. So if you have a Bible or a phone, go ahead and open up to Psalm 133, and, uh, and we'll go ahead and get, get started. Um, there's many great passages this week in the Psalms. We've been doing a series where we've been going through the Psalms, about seven chapters a week, one a day, and uh, the, the teaching team picks one of those each week to teach on. And then I had a hard time kind of deciding uh, which one I was going to uh, to pick because there's a lot of great ones. So I encourage you to do the reading. A lot of them are actually really short. Today's Psalm is actually only three verses. But there's some great verses for us to look at. Um, it's just my son crying, so don't worry. It's not, not your, your child, and he's tough. I've seen him uh, get through this stuff. So, <laughs> And uh, my parents here with us this weekend from down south, so really glad to have, have them with us and helping with the kids while I'm up here. Um, but like I was saying, great, great, uh, many great passages, and this morning's topic is really going to be about the importance of unity in the body of Christ. And uh, in the chapter we'll look at, it talks about unity between brothers, and it's a beautiful picture. There's a lot of uh, illustration or illustrative descriptive uh, verses that we'll get a look at. Um, and it's so essential that in the church that we live out this God-given mandate for unity as believers. And of course, we live in a very divided time in our country, uh, politically, over issues of, of race, the, the medical things that are going on right now. It's a divided time. And it's so important that as the body of believers that we strive for unity amongst one another uh, for the many reasons that we'll, we'll look at this morning. I think that this passage is as timely today as it was when it was written and inspired by the Lord so many um, years ago. So yeah, Psalm 133, I'm going to go ahead and read it and then we'll pray and get started. And uh, the title of this passage or this chapter in the psalms is when brothers dwell in unity it's a song of a sense of david so we believe david wrote this psalm okay follow along with me verse one it says behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of aaron running down on the collar of his robes it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we could be together this morning to study your word, to be encouraged, to have time of, of fellowship with one another, to sing praises to you, Lord Jesus. And God, I just pray that you would be with us in this time, um, that this would be a time of, of encouragement and edification, and Lord, that you would inspire us of what it, the importance and what it looks like to strive for unity within the body of believers and in the body of Christ and how that can 
encourage, even give opportunities and a witness and an example of un- for unity in the world. Lord, in your name we pray this morning. Amen. So here we go. Wonderful passage. A lot of beautiful imagery. Some of it maybe a little uh, um, distant from us in terms of culture or time. And so we'll unpack a little bit of what it might, this might mean. But it's really a, a beautiful passage. So let's look back at it. Verse 1. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It starts off with uh, this word behold, which means take notice, observe, pay attention, you know, check this out. I have something important to, to tell you. And then he has, it says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And there's two words there, how good and pleasant. And I think it's significant that he uses these two words to talk about, um, about how good it is when brothers dwell in unity. First, it says how good it is. So this is something that is, is, is good, meaning it is, it is right, it is, is true. This is the way that it should be or the way that it ought to be. In some sense, brothers dwelling in unity, it's kind of, it's their responsibility or it's their, their duty before the Lord. It's what the Lord wants to happen. But not only that, it's also pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. So in the word pleasant, it's not only that it's our duty, but it's also, as, as one pastor said, it's our delight. It's what we want it to be. It's something that we enjoy. It's, it's to our, um, it's in our favor. It's, it's our blessing when we dwell in unity or when brothers dwell in unity. So not as only is it good, what we ought to do, but it is also, um, pleasant. It's what we, we want, how we want it to be. It's what we're going to enjoy and how we're going to flourish. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Um, this word dwell. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word dwell. Uh, the Hebrew word yashav, to sit, to abide, or to, re- to remain. Makes me think of John 15, where Jesus says, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. To dwell, um, I think of a dwelling place, or you think of a, of a home, family, fellowship, where you can interact and lead and serve and discuss, kind of spend time, you know, together. Maybe even debate, but you're doing it, um, you're, you're dwelling, you're there, it's, it's ongoing, it's, it takes time. And then it says to dwell in unity. That word is yakad, it means together, united, or to be alike, like one another. So how should we be unified as the body of Christ? Of course, we want to be unified um, in, in, our, in our core beliefs, in the faith, but also in, in our behavior, in the way that we live out our faith uh, in the world. So our, um, our, our, our doctrine, but also our practice, our, our mission as a church, we want to be unified in that mission, in our core values and beliefs, to be, to be bonded in love and humility and trust, respect. I think of kindness, loyalty, that we would be unified in, the, in, in how we seek to honor one another and how we seek to live out mission within our community, within our world. Do you see that? This idea of unity. That we be unified in, in, the, in the core, in the essentials of our faith. There's a lot of things that we can have differing views on or disagreements on, but it's so important that we strive for unity, and we'll see more. And you think of unity in contrast to, to division. If you've ever been in a relationship where was, there was hostility or division, or even in a, a church family in the past where there was division, it's, it's not enjoyable, right? Where there's distrust or animosity, hatred, betrayal, discord, pain, lack of, lack of blessing. So in the absence of unity, 
It's a, it's, it's a difficult, uh, a, a contentious, a hostile environment. He's saying how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Colossians 3.14, it says, Above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We'll look at a little further on some other passages from the New Testament, New Testament that start to unpack or give us uh, words and language to think about what attributes and behaviors should we have where we can create this type of environment where there is unity within the body of Christ. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection, which um, outdo one another in showing honor. So love binds us together. Brotherly affections where we seek to outdo each other in showing honor. Uh, next, David gives two examples to illustrate how pleasant it is when there's unity between brothers or fellow believers or within a marriage, within your home. First one, verse two, it says, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. We had an example of that this morning with Matt, the sweat running down his beard over here. If you saw him worshiping or some of you right now, you're kind of glistening, starting to feel it. Just wait another few minutes. I decided to shorten my message from, you know, two hours to about an hour and a half this morning. So we won't just kidding. We're, we're almost done. Not, not quite there actually, but so, you know, you can, you can imagine this picture of, of oil being poured on the head of Aaron, who was the first high priest of the nation of Israel. As they were wandering, it was Moses and Aaron deliver the people from Israel. They're, they're, they're traveling through the wilderness. He becomes the priest and he's consecrated to the Lord. Um, Exodus 29, four through nine, if you want to look it up later, Exodus chapter 29, Moses anoints Aaron's head with oil and he consecrates him to the Lord for the priesthood. It signified Aaron's devotion and commitment to the Lord and to his work of, of ministry as a, as a priest to come before the Lord on behalf of the people to offer sacrifice. Um, in this picture that's given there, if you look that up later, you know, Aaron is being consecrated and they have these animals for sacrifice and he's washed with water and then they put on these elaborate robes and the, 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 you know, tied these straps with the ephod and these garments that were finely woven. There was a lot of effort and this was a really significant moment in, in celebration and commissioning that was happening with Aaron. And his sons were with him as well. And it spoke to the generations of, uh, that would take place in this, this priestly line. It wasn't uh, just a quick startup where they're like, oh, yeah, we'll just kind of give this a try and see how it works out. And if it doesn't work, we'll do something else. They were, they were devoted to the Lord. And oil was used to, um, to bring, to usher this in. You know, we use oil to ordain pastors we're familiar with. Like I said, Aaron's sons were with him. It was a generational thing. And it's just this beautiful picture of him being anointed with oil and oil dripping down his beard and onto his robes. It seems a little more strange to us, maybe today. But oil was such a, an essential and powerful um, resource in biblical times. They would, you know, use it in hospitality when someone would come into your home. It was a source of refreshing. It gave off this beautiful aroma. You can imagine in a, in a desert land, if you're walking around for a long time and you have cracked skin and you're tired and somebody anoints you with oil and to soothe, to soothe your skin. Just this, 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 this fragrance that it would get, give off and, um, 
how it would comfort, you know, someone in, in a situation where they're seeking to be hospitable. Jesus actually rebukes the Pharisees. He says, I came into your home and nobody anointed my head with oil or my feet. And then you have the prostitute woman who actually takes his perfume and washes his feet and he honors her for that. And so oil was a, was this, this beautiful picture of hospitality, of, 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 of consecration to the Lord, of being set apart. Um, we've actually, oils have kind of come back in fad, right? Any, uh, essential oil moms out here today or any of you guys love essential oils? No? Shy? Yes? We got some in the back. You know, we, we use essential oils today and we've come to appreciate their, their healing properties and how they're used. If you know some of essential oils, you know that those, they can use it to like cure anything. You got a headache? No problem. Poison oak? No problem. COVID-19? Gotcha. Use this one. Broken femur? You might need to use the roller for that, you know? I'm just kidding. Just messing with you. But do we see how, how oils, and actually, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit of a skeptic of the oils. My wife loves them. She has them. And, and I'm like, okay, can I have an Advil? She's like, here, you, wait, do this. Put this on your skin or your thumb. I'm like, wow, that, that worked. How did you do that, you know? But these oils, you know, they have these healing properties with them. And we're going to see how in the body of Christ, when we dwell in unity, how it can have this, this hospitality, this healing effect, this uh, positive aroma and create an environment where we can thrive and flourish as believers. Amen? Do we see that? The second one, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Hermon is the highest mountain in, in the current day Palestinian area. And, and Hermon has, is so tall that it actually has snowy caps, even though much of, of uh, the land of Israel is somewhat desolate and you have some you know, Mediterranean and lush areas, but you know, there's not a lot of, of rainfall at times. And Mount Hermon is so tall with this snowy cap that dew from Hermon would, would fall down, cascade down the mountains and, and kind of um, water or, or um, put dew on the surrounding areas. So again, he's comparing brothers dwelling in unity to like the dew of Mount Hermon cascading down the mountains and giving life and, and, and watering all that's around it. So that vegetation and greenery and life can, can grow. We have a little backyard. In case parents were with us not long ago, we started a little garden. And then we, uh, you know, put down a little bit of sod in some areas where the grass wasn't growing. And let me tell you, without water, it does not do very well. We were gone for just a short time and I had set up this like automatic sprinkler thing. And the one area wasn't hitting. It was like it was brown quick. If you're trying to grow something, water is so important. This, the dew, fortunately, there is a little bit of early morning dew, and that can help a little bit, right, even here. But when, man, one area, we watered some of the plants, and, like, these tomato things, like, became like a jungle instantly, you know, with just a little bit of water. And so unity has this, this washing, this, um, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's like, it's a refreshing. Imagine right now if there were misters uh, on all of these tents. Calvary, we're going to up our game next weekend. I don't know. Imagine there's misters, you know, just kind of how, how refreshing that would be. Do you get that, that image? And that is what unity is in the body of Christ. It's refreshing. It creates an environment where we can flourish. Not only that, in the New Testament, we see some other things about the significance of, of unity. Um, the last verse there, it says, For the Lord has commanded the blessing, or there, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So when there is unity, God's blessing is present there. God blesses brothers when they dwell in unity the church when we dwell in unity 
When we look at the New Testament, we see in John 17, Jesus is teaching his disciples near the end of his life. That last week, it says in verse 23, John 17, verse 23, I and them, and he's talking to the Father, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So when his disciples were one, when they were unified, it was a picture to the world that Jesus had been sent into the incarnation as the Messiah, as the Savior, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to raise from the dead so that we can have this hope of eternal life and relationship with God. And when the disciples were unified and people acknowledged or saw their love for one another, it pointed to the unity of the Godhead, it pointed to Christ, it pointed to God the Father. So I want to ask the question, why is unity so important for us, for the church? We'll look at three reasons. It's so important because of what it produces. Unity creates an environment for growth and flourishing. It creates an environment when we come together in fellowship or when we gather in small groups or when you get together with a fellow believer from our church at a coffee shop or six feet apart or whatever, you know, that was a COVID joke. Okay. Uh, when we get together, we can grow. We can, we can flourish. Also, second thing is that unity empowers our witness to the world, which we'll talk about more in a second. And uniform, uni, unity glorifies God and it accomplishes or, or accompanies, it brings about his blessings. So it creates an environment for growth. It empowers our witness to the world and it brings glory to God and ushers in his blessing. Let's look at that first one. Unity creates a healthy environment for growth, healing, and flourishing for the members of the body of Christ. It creates a place where there's mutual love and respect and edification. Where we can actually dig into difficult things. We can rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So I'm going to look a little bit at what, look more, unpack a little bit more. What is unity? But also even ask, what is it not? Because when I think when we hear a passage like this about the importance of unity or peace in the body of Christ, it's easy to think, okay, well, then I don't want to, if somebody wrongs me or something bothers me or something negative happens, I'm just going to push it under the rug. I'm not going to bring it up. I don't want to address it because I don't want to cause any, any discord. And I don't think that unity means the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of disagreement or even honest and healthy debate at times. It is the absence, however, of animosity, bitterness, hatred, dissension, gossip, slander. So when we are unified, we can actually step into conflict with this mutual love and respect and from a place of humility and seeking for understanding, address tension and difficulty and and hardships that come up. Because let's face it, we're a church of broken people, fallen people. Peter describes as living stones. My kids love playing with rocks. And rocks grind against each other, right? And so there's tension in in the body of Christ. There's different opinions about how we should do things or about all kinds of questions that can come up. And we have to be able to address hardship or conflict, but with a spirit of love, with brotherly love being this this all-encompassing principle that can help us navigate those things well we don't want to avoid conflict but we address it with brotherly love and humility seek understanding and reconciliation 
so that in time we can resolve disagreement and grow toward greater unity and oneness. We strive to be of one mind, especially on the core and most essential issues. Maybe you've ever been in a relationship or you know somebody where, you know, they just hate conflict. They never want to deal with it. And we have phrases that we're familiar with, right? You, when you're around somebody like that, you know, they, you feel like you have to walk on eggshells or you don't want to stir the pot or rock the boat. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen that or maybe you've had that in, in your relationship or marriage? I've had relationships like that. And it's easy to go throughout time and, and feel like, okay, everything's fine. But then eventually that stuff comes out and maybe something will, will blow up, right? Or somebody will just leave the, leave the church, and just, wait, where, where are they? They're, they're gone and we never heard anything or why? Because they let something just stay inside and, and fester. So it's important when there is conflict that we address it quickly and that we do it in love. Do you hear, hear what I'm saying? Do you guys see the, the importance of this? Why it's so important? So there, we have to have room for, for conflict or disagreement, but we have to be able to address it in love. So let's look at some other passages of the New Testament. Philippians 2.2 2 says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This, uh, this phrase, one mind, comes up throughout the scriptures in the New Testament, especially the early teachings of the church. To be of one mind. Well, one mind, being of one mind, doesn't just happen automatically. It's something that takes effort. If you're married, you know that when you get married, you become one with your spouse. And then you have no conflict from then on. <laughs> right? Not right. You know, initially, you, you know, you start talking through things and you, you deal with the challenges with communication what somebody means and what somebody else. And eventually you grow and you navigate through those things. And then what do they say? Eventually you start to be able to finish each other's sentences, right? And then you have those old couples that have been married for 25, 30, 40 years. And they like look at each other and like blink some Morris code. And the other one knows what's going on. And they'll get up and go and get something from the kitchen. And they're like, how, how did they do that? Am I, is that fair? Does that, how, you know, you know people like that? I got a thumbs up. Appreciate the feedback, right? I mean, it's like, wow, how do they know? But they just, they know each other so well that even the smallest body movements, they can, they know what that person is saying. I've had to learn some things with my wife, Katie. Um, I'm very thankful for her because she will let me know what she's thinking at times. And sometimes she'll come later and say, oh, I apologize. I was kind of sharp. Will you forgive me? And I, but I love it because I would way rather know where I stand and where she's at than kind of be in the dark on things. It's a lot scarier to know that, you know, how are you doing? I'm fine. And you know it's not fine, but you don't know what it is. Right? Um, and so with Katie, sometimes I had to learn. She'll say things like, oh, man, I really need to go to my car and get that heavy box out of the car. And I'm like, okay, well, good, good luck, you know. <laughs> or she'll say, you know, oh, gosh, those dishes have been, oh, I need to get that done later today. Well, that does not mean she needs to get it later today. What is she saying? Can you go get that box out of the car? Right? Or can you help me with this? Right. So so she'll do it. I, I need to get this done. But really, she's and I've learned that. And now I know, OK, like it's just I'm sort of like, hey, just just tell me. Trust me, there's a lot of things that I say and do that are a lot more uh, challenging to her than than that, than what she does to me. But, man, we have to learn to love one another and to navigate and to communicate in a way where we seek to understand, seek to serve, to love one another in humility even through challenges or difficult times. First Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there are no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. 
2 Corinthians 13. Finally, uh, this is 2 Corinthians 13, 11. I realize I don't have slides because uh, no projector today. Sorry, online. For 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. This is why I, I would say that, you know, we have to leave room for conflict because you can't have restoration if there's nothing to be restored from. The reality is in the church, we're going to we're gonna navigate through difficult things. And so he's saying, aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. First Peter 3, 8 says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Have unity of mind. I'm so thankful for our church. You know, we see the example of Pastor Brian and Pastor James who have been in ministry together. Uh, I think they've been a great picture of brotherly love. 25 years. And, you know, they've never had a single conflict in 20... <laughs> you know, they want to laugh, right? Of course there has been. But because of this brotherly love, because the, the striving for unity within the body, they've been able to serve together and create fellowship and with their spouses and now you know the leadership of our staff they care about unity and working through and navigating challenging things that are taking place so since unity is so important in the in the body of christ it's important that we be careful not to let the division of the world enter into the body of christ and let's face it there are things that can seek to divide the church today There's so many national divisions happening right now, political division in the country. Let's face it, the next 90 days of our country are going to be intense. There's going to be all kinds of stuff, riots and protests. and I mean, it's just going to be going to be intense. There's going to be a lot of pressure to be on this side or the other side or to post this or to say this or where do you stand here? There's division over race and racial justice in our country, as we know. There's division even in the church. If you look back at the history of the church, even in the U.S., there's been division and denominations split or formed over, over issues of, of race and, and far back over slavery. And God wants us to be unified as a body of Christ. There is no longer slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. And so the church is an incredible place where we can overcome these divisive elements in our society and give a picture of unity there's division in the country over health and medicine and how we should respond or make sense of the continually changing reports about how we should handle things with the pandemic and what you can do and what you can't and that affects the church even our own state has put out mandates about what we can or can't do within a church service that's very rare and unique and kind of unprecedented that the, the government would try to even say those kinds of things and we have to navigate man how do we respond and we can disagree on some of those things at times. And it's so important that we strive for unity so that we don't let those divisions seep in and create hostility within the church. Amen? You agree? So what attributes do we want to live out as we're unified? A couple more verses. Ephesians 4, it says, for, Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you kindness man if you have conflict with somebody striving to navigate that but do it with kindness so important ephesians 4 13 until we all attain the unity in greek that's henotes or agreement till we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure of stature of the fullness 
of Christ. So that second part real quick, Christian unity empowers and establishes our witness to the world that people may come to know Christ, the son of God and the father who sent him. So again, John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, John 17, 11 to 23, it says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. And of course, that last point, when we are unified, it glorifies God and it ushers in his blessing. Skip a couple of this for the sake of time. So what happens if we are not unified? It's the reverse of those things. We're good, the environment where we gather can be toxic. It can, there can be resentment. We'll have strife and damage our witness to the world. Paul writes to Titus warning how to deal with someone who is intentionally causing division or discord. In Titus 3, 10 through 11, it says, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Those are strong words. Paul is, is really striving. To, he's challenging Titus and Timothy, other leaders, to guard the unity of the brethren. And if somebody is intentionally divisive and they won't respond, he's saying, hey, put that person aside. We've got to protect the unity within the church. So some practical ways that we can apply this teaching. I encourage you, man. In these times when things are so divided, if there is conflict with somebody or you have somebody that's disagree or you have differing views with them and the things that are going on in the, in the world, in the country, I encourage you give them a call or meet up with them in person to talk about it. Don't do it through text or email or God forbid, a comment section of a Facebook page. Do you hear what I mean? You hear what I'm saying? Well, we can hear when, when there's things that there's the, we have division about, it's so important that we step into each other's lives and give space and room to have a meaningful conversation where there's mutual dialogue and seeking understanding and seeking to listen, to understand before being heard. It's so easy to just see something you disagree with and, you know, keyboard warrior type a bunch of stuff. And then later you go, oh man, that wasn't necessarily helpful. On social media, we can just block somebody and unfriend them. And then we try to think, you know, oh, this person in my real life, they did, I'm just going to not talk to them anymore. Man, we can't do that. We got to be willing to have relationships with people that have differing views or opinions on things with us and that we maintain our love for one another, especially as believers and strive for unity in the body of Christ. So I want to wrap it up with an encouragement from Paul that he gave to the church in Colossae. Colossians 3, 14 through 16 says, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful Let the Lord of Christ dwell as that word dwell again, dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. If we can have a heart, a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness to God, what he's done for us, how he's forgiven us, our mind is on Christ, it's going to help us maintain this bond of unity. 
Psalms 133 again, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So unity creates an environment for growth and flourishing. It empowers our witness to the world and it glorifies God and ushers in his blessings. Amen. Let's strive for unity as a church. God bless you guys. Come on back up. Well, they're coming up. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, we worship you. And I just thank you for our church. I thank you for the ways that our church is unified. I thank you, Lord, even for the, the church in, in our county, in San Luis Obispo, and the way that pastors seek to come together to be unified on the issues that are taking place and affecting the church. And Lord, I pray that in our homes, with our spouses, with our families, that we would strive for unity, that in the church, we would be unified, and Lord, that we would be an example and a witness to the world. Help us to be wise, help us to have brotherly love, and help us to honor you, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.